to us. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How is it going, everybody? It is draft day. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it's our last pre-draft podcast, and we want to hear from you. So we're going to answer some of your mailbag questions via the Twitter mailbag. We'll talk some general draft, some guys I love, some Dolphins draft, everything in between, including my one and only mock draft, which eh, we'll see how I do on that thing. All of that and more from somewhere in South Florida. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So I know it's not our typical draft run up here this week for y'all without the first and second round draft picks for your Miami Dolphins, but I'm still excited. I still get to watch all these players you've been scouting and evaluating go off the board. We get to take a look at a couple of them here in the aqua and orange in the third, fourth, and then two in the seventh round. I mean, I still stay excited. I saw a couple of comments in the mailbag thread asking, we still have picks. We still have a draft. What is there to talk about? There's plenty to talk about. And that's what we're going to do on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. And you know, I've been... The scouting process for me is, I would say, six months long. I usually crack in, well, the start of college football, I watched on the broadcast, but I don't consider that to be watching tape. It gives you a feel about what kind of guys make what kind of impact and who's trending in the right direction, who's getting the national buzz, all that fun stuff. It's definitely beneficial to watch the games in season. But until you get the tape, until you kind of get the process of breaking down a play, I mean, all the podcasts we did the last couple of weeks, we asked everybody, what's your process like for watching the tape? And what do they all tell us? They watch every play four, five, six, seven times. And that's just not something you do when you're hanging out, eating popcorn, drinking a beer, watching football with your buddies. Again, valuable, but not the same deal. So I would say the process for me is about six months long of getting into the actual tape and watching these guys and trying to get at least 200 of them done here before the pot or before the draft kicks off here for podcast coverage for Miami Dolphins coverage all that fun stuff but this year I really found it hard to stay on task because well quite frankly there are so many things that are pulling you away as a Dolphins fan from studying draft prospects because you don't pick until 102 for me that was San Francisco 49ers tape, watching every game they played the last couple of years and just getting a feel for how the offense was called, how the rhythm, the pacing, the timing of all that went down, just to kind of give myself my expectation to understand how pieces might be used here. And not even for podcast pub- publication. You know, part of that is just for your own knowledge base because it's always helpful to have that knowledge base inherent so you can talk about things that come up down the line. Miami Dolphins tape, charting. All kinds of stuff. I really became fascinated by the Dolphins' third down offense this year and Tua Tungavailoa's performance on that down. So I've been charting some of that stuff. And then also Chiefs tape for Tyreek Hill, Cowboys tape for Connor Williams and for Cedric Wilson, Saints tape for Teron Armstead, even got some Raiders tape rolling. That's right, for Alec Ingold and fullback tape. Anything I could put in front of my face for the pro team at times took precedent. But, you know, I still had the draft party that I was planning to get ready for and a bunch of work for that, that I was, it's not going to happen now. We're not doing the the programming at the draft party now, but getting ready for that. I, I thought 
I owed it to myself and to my, my audience here to keep staying on that draft train. And I did it, plugged through, worked hard, got back into my, you know, 200 or so players evaluated and watched for this draft class. And it feels good. It feels good to have that in the backseat and to talk about it here or in the rear view, I should say, and talk about it. And it's, it's just not in my nature to completely balk at a draft class. I still remember the first draft that I quote unquote covered. I wrote this six page mock draft and I worked on that so long and so hard and I printed it out and put it into one of those like binders, those little like see-through sleeve binders with a binding on the, on the uh, spine of your project that you would turn in for like your senior paper in high school or maybe your college thesis, like that type of thing. I was so proud of it, displayed it on my coffee table for my friends to read when they came over about an hour before the draft that year and getting ready. Like I was very proud of that. So I've been doing this for about, I guess, 15, 16 years. And with that, all that preamble is here to tell you about the guys that really stood out to me in the process of this, this, uh, the scouting process. And I don't have all the names here that I, I wrote down, but just some guys that stood out regardless of round or position or projected area, they go off the board. Let's go ahead and start with the quarterbacks. I love me some Malik Willis, love his game and what he brings to the table, both as a physical runner, as a speed runner, a guy that can execute multiple different types of looks from the run pass option game, the play action game, the boot, the pistol, all that fun stuff. And the arm talent is really impressive too. I think that he's a good example of kind of this modern day conundrum, I think that is definitely prevalent among media types and personalities. I, I can't speak to how the teams view this because I just don't have access to that. But the, the idea bet- between how quarterbacks are viewed from their processing and sharpness and readiness to play the position compared to their physical traits and how that stands out. And, you know, Josh, there's always going to be those outliers that kind of give folks justification for why that argument is sound, right? Like Josh Allen, after his first two years of up and down, but productive play in the National Football League turned into his third season, which was dominance, MVP level quarterbacking, the type of quarterback that makes the Bills, a team that people will put into the deep portions of playoff runs every year, as long as he's healthy and going at this rate, right? And so if you can foster those those traits and try to manage the intangibles along the way, then you could possibly hit Yahtzee on the other end of that quarterback's development. But still, I still believe that 95% of the position is played from the pocket, is played from structure, is played from reading the defense and getting through that stuff. So it's an interesting balance of how those two things go together. And with Malik Willis, he's as physically gifted as you've ever seen. Now, he doesn't have a lot of college experience, so maybe that takes some time to kind of get him to that level. But to say that he can't do it because he hasn't is crazy to me. I think that he's far and away the best quarterback in this class and definitely the most intriguing quarterback in this class. The other guy I put on my list here is Sam Howell. I like the kind of shortstop type of arm angles that he can throw from. He was a baseball player for a long time. He can snap the ball down the field. He's quick twitch off of his spot. I like his game a lot too from UNC, uh, probably in the second round sometime. At running back, you heard me and Kyle Krabs talk about this, how much there is to like about this position group in this class. I don't want to give a full scouting report on all these guys. We talked about them throughout the course of the process. Isaiah Spiller, his passing game prowess, stick your face in the fan on pass protection, go convert a big third down uh, play through the air, breakaway speed at times to hit the big home runs. Pierre Strong from South Dakota State, love his game. You've heard me talk about him for weeks now. 
Brian Robinson at Alabama, big physical bruiser, that next Bama product there. Rashad White from Arizona State has great foot quickness and patience to kind of pick his way through the running game. James Cook, a big-time passing game uh, uh, guy you can flex out wide and and beat matchups. Tried to say matchup beater there, couldn't come to me. Like his game a lot. I like Davion Pierce and pass protection. Like Taylor Tyler Batty from Missouri as well. There are just too many to talk about here. A great running back class this year. At receiver, I think it's similar, although lacking the top of the level, Jamar Chase, uh, Jalen Waddle, and Devontae Smith we had last season that really, really, I think, would all be the first pick in the draft this year if they were in this year's draft class. But Jamison Williams is my favorite. The explosive nature of his game, springy off of the slant, off of the out route, after the, off the stem, the vertical routes, whatever you want him to do, he can turn short gains into big gains. I love guys that can turn 12-play drives into 4-play drives. He's one of them. Jahan Dotson has explosive skill set as well and some of the best hands you've ever seen, like... OJ McDuffie had the best hands in Penn State history. Jahan Dotson might have the second best. David Bell at Purdue, he has the best hands I ever saw at Purdue. He's a, a crafty, gifted route runner who might fall because of a, a, a low low outage or low output, I should say, at the scouting combine, but I love his game. Sky Moore, one of those interesting kind of jet sweep, carry the football, play in the backfield, get vertical in the passing game as well. A nice looking route runner there in the in the match. That's some action this year. He's a good-looking player. John Mechie, again, there's a theme here for me, guys, right? Springy, separation creators, guys that can make big plays, like his game a lot, too. And then Alec Pierce from Cincinnati, uh, just a special, special athlete that can make all kinds of plays all over the field. At tight end, love me some Isaiah Likely, the Coastal Carolina product, a sensational athlete with vacuums for hands and the way the ball hits his mitts it just he reels it in so impressively and then Jelani Woods from Virginia Tech classic Y with the ability to flex out and play the F like his game and then the kid from Maryland we talked about it with Fran Duffy Chig Aquanco from Maryland he's an H-back fullback tight end type that can do multiple things in your offense at the tackle position same as the running back class rapid fire I mean I like the guys up top. I think the best top part of the draft position in this year's class, except for maybe the edge. Equanu is my top player in the class. Him and Evan Neal and Charles Cross are class. Ch- Charles Cross are all in the top portion of this this year's draft class and potential top five picks. Trevor Penning, I like me some Abe Lucas from Washington State. You know that, go Cougs. Bernard Raymond from Central Michigan. Luke Gadecki, his teammate at Central Michigan. And Matt Willetsko from North Dakota State. Good good scheme versatility, good kind of what's your flavor type of, of class here on the offensive line. And potentially some guys that fall into day two, maybe even early day three, that can be plug and play type guys. On the interior, same deal. Zion Johnson, I love his game. Tyler Linderbaum and Kenyon Green, I think he's he could play tackle too, but all three of those guys to me are first round picks. Dylan Parham, went back and watched more of him from Memphis after Joe Marino gave me the suggestion. He looks great. Cole Strange from Chattanooga might be my favorite interior offensive lineman uh, outside those top guys in this entire class. Luke Fortner from Kentucky is a hell of a player. Zach Tom, great side-to-side movement skills and just finishing and, and pure technique in his game. And then Cam Jurgens, the center from Nebraska, has a real nasty mean streak. There's, there's four good centers in this class I think might go on day two, day three. You can get a look at in this position group between Strange, Fortner, Tom, and Jurgens. Interior D-line, obviously Jordan Davis is a freak of nature, and Devontae Wyatt's probably 
just as good, if not better. Kyle Krabs thought he had him rated higher. Travis Jones from UConn, a squatty body that can overpower dudes on the interior. Perion Winfrey can play that big end position, kind of the way Zach Sealer does, and kick inside and, and dominate inside as well. I also like Haskell Garrett from Ohio State. He's a good penetrator on the inside of the defensive line. And then Fedarian Mathis from Alabama has absurd length up front. At the edge position, the Draft Network has six of these guys in their top 27. And like Michael Bolton, Mike Bolton, I should say, I guess I sort of like them all. But I will say Kayvon Thibodeau has been my number one player since the process began and in earnest since his freshman year at Oregon. I also think that someone's going to get a big hit on George Karloftis wherever he goes. But beyond that, huge fan of Boye Mafe from Minnesota. Another handful of guys in that pre-100 range. I'm going to align with Keith Sanchez here from the Draft Network. Did the Edge Preview podcast a few a few days back, a week ago or so, uh, on the Texas A&M guys. Michael Clemens at 143 on TDN's big board. Also a big fan of MyJ Sanders. Off-ball linebackers. Again, obviously... Nicobe Dean and Devin Lloyd are kind of the, the, the cream of the crop, but I love, love, love Quay Walker. You heard Kyle Krabs say he might go round one by the time it's all said and done. Leo Chanel from Wisconsin, he's a good-looking player. Damone Clark from LSU is a guy that Kyle pointed out as a big-time uh, potential late steal because of the, the injury he suffered earlier this draft run-up. Chad Muma from Wyoming, a great senior bull. Same story for Troy Anderson out of, Minis- out of uh, Montana, not Minnesota, and Darian Beavers out of Cincinnati. Again, linebacker, edge, offensive line, some deep, deep classes here. Running back as well. Four areas Miami could be considered uh, to be looking at. At cornerback, Derek Stingley, number one on my big board, but Sauce Gardner's a baller too. I love the UW kids, go Cougs, but Kyler Gordon's a future star. Trent McDuffie just might be too. I think Andrew Booth at Clemson has a, been a little bit under the radar for a true lockdown perimeter number one type. And then later on, Cam Taylor Britt from Nebraska, huge fan of his game, physical press corner, plays the game the modern the way it's played in the modern day. Kobe Bryant from Cincinnati and Mario Goodrich from Clemson, they're kind of the other guys there at those two schools, right? That, that they're not they're not Andrew Booth and they're not Sauce Gardner, but they're damn good football players who should go uh, on day two, I think. At safety, Kyle Hamilton. So glad Kyle said he was his number one player. He might be mine too. I've given you three now with Thibodeau, Equanu, and Kyle Hamilton, but I think I'm going to lean towards Thibodeau with Hamilton two and Equanu three. But I love the mention that Ed Reed also ran a four five because who cares? The guy's play speed on the football field's absolutely outrageous. Daxton Hill, probably my next favorite, the Michigan safety. Really like Jalen Petre's game from Baylor. You heard Brett Coleman talk about his Holland-like traits as far as his versatility. And then the later rounds, Kirby Joseph from Illinois. I think he might be a dude. And then Verone McKinley from Oregon can also play. And then also Bubba Bolden. Thought he was trending towards a top 100 pick last year, got hurt, and now most publications have him outside the top 150 prospects. If that's the case, he could be a real nice value for someone late in this year's draft class. All right. Let's take our first break here. I'm going to fly through a mock draft in the third segment. But again, it's it's weird to think about this from a completely void of a Dolphins lens. There used to be a time where I used to think I can't imagine not having a first round pick, but now we're here and I prefer it. So good looking there. Considering the player we got back, I, I think you have to prefer that. But next, we'll do the mailbag and then we'll get to the mock draft in the third segment here. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Back here on this Thursday, day one of the NFL Draft edition of the Drive Time Podcast. We are presented by AutoNation. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. It's always weird to me to get back in the saddle here as a solo host after having weeks and even a month of guests. I guess we did have the media coverage podcast last week that was just me, but it was mostly Chris and Chris Greer and Tua talking 
but it, it's it's always a good feeling to get back in the solo hosting chair. So let's go ahead and get to some of your mailbag questions here. I put the call out on Twitter. You respond with your questions. I answer them here on the podcast or on MiamiDolphins.com. I believe I have four or five in that mailbag too, so check it out up on MD.com if you have not done so already. Adam Beasley, we know him, Pro Football Network and formerly of the Miami Herald, asks this, and I couldn't wait to answer it. What's your hair care regimen or your hair care secrets, he asks. Well, Beasley, <laughs> absolutely nothing. So I hate having stuff in my hair. I found a barber here that's aces. So shout out to Alejandro at the Cutting Gallery in Pembroke Pines. Go see him if you need someone to cut your hair. But the nice part about parting your hair one way for a decade, the old side part, my friend used to call it a comb over. It's not a comb over. It's a side part. Comb over is when you don't have hair on top and you fix it by pulling the hair to the side. But my hair is very well trained to kind of stay where it's supposed to. So it's I can kind of wake up in the morning and it's usually where it's supposed to be. It's like a humble brag, I guess. I don't know if it's a cool trait to have. But honestly, if I'm going to style my hair, which I almost never do, I leave it dry, I just use lotion. It holds, but if you want it out, it's easy and not messy. Like a pretty nice life hack I learned from Matt Money Smith, who does the Chargers play-by-play broadcast. He was talking about this on the Around the NFL podcast on NFL Media about... The old broadcaster's trick is if you forget your hair gel, hand lotion works pretty well too from the hotel. That's where I found out about it. Tried it once, loved it. It stays, but if, again, if you want to take it out, you can. So when you forget your hair gel or you never want to use hair gel again, go for the lotion. I did it and never looked back, but that's like if I'm going to be on camera. I almost never use stuff in my hair otherwise. This one from at uh, 1LeoF. Realistically, the best player that could fall to 102 regardless of position. Very tough to forecast. We'll get to my mock in just one second. I'm already convinced that my first pick is wrong and my second pick too, so we'll see how it goes. But I think you look at the potential positional gluts and and kind of jams that causes the entire group to slide a little bit. It's like in fantasy, right? Like you're looking at your board and you've got a needed receiver, a needed tight end, but the tight end class is, is still stacked up. Like you still got Waller and Kelsey and Gasicki and all these top tight ends on the board. And there's one last receiver that stands out above the rest. You take that receiver because you know you can come back and get the tight end later on. That can happen in the dra- NFL draft too. So I would be inclined to say both tackle and interior offensive line could be the situation where that happens. But the demand for that position literally every single year doesn't allow that. So I, I then think that's probably not going to happen. Then I look at the edge position, running back and linebacker. Talked about that just a minute ago, especially the latter two. Also two positions that sometimes suffer from the positional value drop, right? But that could provide someone like Miami a potential boon there. So that is, is it Rashad White? Is it Pierre Strong? Is it James Cook at running back? Is it Chad Muma? Is it Troy Anderson? Is it Damone Clark? Is it Leo Chenault linebacker? That's what I think you're looking at. It's a great question and a tough one. If that's the direction you want to go, could be DB, could be receiver, who the hell knows, but there should be some good options there. At Kobo Nation, if you were Chris Greer, is there a specific player or position that you would consider trading away one of the 2023 first rounders to go up and go get? This will be a theme because, well, it's a theme when you pick in that 15 to 20 range, much more so when you pick at 102, but it's just so tough to gauge. Like, I think this question takes us to the draft value chart, the one that I refer to Ah, like 10 times a year on this podcast, which is of course not the end all be all, but it's a good measurement device. And for the sake of the question, let's just say Miami wants to go up to 25. It's Buffalo picking there, but for the sake of the argument, we'll say it's 25. That pick is worth 720 points. Pick 102 is worth 92 points. So you're going to have to come up with 630 points, which is the equivalent of the 30th, 30th pick in this year's draft, any draft. 
And of course, both teams involved would have to accept the fact that there is no guarantee of where that pick would be and the higher or lower it goes based upon your record, the season that's coming up would impact that trade value at the end of the day. But I think it's important to lay out the expectation there of cost. And in a draft where you're probably going to see the top tackles, receivers, and edge rushers plucked off the board by the time you made that move into the pick 25, like you're probably going to see four or five tackles, three or four receivers, five or six edge guys off the board by that time. I'm not so sure there's a guy on the board that would, that would, validate that move there could be but I don't know that it would be I think it's also a nice boon to have those two first round picks next year just for the flexibility allows you alone so my gut says no but who the hell knows like what if for some reason a player like Kenyon Green slides there and you just want to play him at tackle maybe it's George Karloft is falling a little bit maybe Jamison Williams because the injury I don't know but the point is I think you need to see a top prospect at a true premium position fall for the move to be worth it now next There are a lot of questions about the trade-up idea, so I want to go ahead and just shout you all out and say thanks for the questions that I saw uh, when I recorded this podcast. If you put your question in there after recording the podcast, I apologize. We do these a lot, so you'll get a chance to get your questions in in the future podcast and mailbags up on MiamiDolphins.com. Dolphins Darlings asks about a trade-up. There's also a few similar questions about under-the-radar guys, and I want to thank uh, at Wade Trip one and at Tua Legs for that one. I'm a big Pierre Strong Jr. guy, the running back from South Dakota State. He's kind of the guy that I like about, you know, in that 102 range. Uh, at J Couch 1021 asks, do you believe linebacker or edge depth is more important at 102? And I think edge is one of the premium positions. And we heard, you know, Chris Greer say in his media, the offensive line and edge were two of the deepest groups in this class. It's funny you paired linebacker there with it because I think because of the nature of this draft that both positions should have at least a couple of really intriguing prospects at either spot. From there, I'm all about taking the player you feel best about. But generally speaking, I think edge is viewed as a premium. So that would probably be the one there. Next one here from at Nathan Schickel. I'm glad you enjoyed Ted Lasso, man. I, he put out there that I, he not, doesn't have a question. Just wants to uh, mention my Ted Lasso recommendation. With Ted Lasso, I was not so much a fan. Uh, so I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It wasn't really for me. But uh, my next recommendation for everybody out there is Barry on HBO. It's got just started their, season, their third season. So a little bit different than Ted Lasso, though. Just know that going in. Uh, at Finn Correct, does our limited number of picks and where they fall make Chris Greer's job easier or harder? I like the way Chris answered this at his media last week. The lack of picks makes it more important to fit roles and find fits for the guys you do draft. But again, I think the the look of the roster on the whole and what he said about exploring veteran options with that 29th and 50th pick tells you a lot about how they were comfortable spending those picks on proven talent after having a boatload of young talent infused into this roster the last few drafts. I think it makes it harder when it comes to just ensuring you find hits in the draft. The, the third and fourth rounds are really kind of in that 20 to 30% hit range for most teams. And then the seventh round, you hope you can find a special teams guy, rotational guy. And if you get a starter there, that's a home run. So it's harder in that sense, but it's also nice to go into draft weekend and know that you've already kind of hit home runs with the capital you had, right? You just, you just weren't going to get a Tyreek Hill with those picks. Like Chris Greer said, it's not fair to compare those prospects to a player like Tyreek Hill, who's already proven so much in this league. 
Next question from at Big Old Batty. Should the Finns draft a big back for short yardage slash goal line? Brian Robinson, perhaps. Robinson's a load. I love his game. I think it's possible. I think running back is possible in general, but I'm not really sure, honestly. It's hard to say what coach might prefer or what the scouting staff or the collaboration of that entire front office says coming together, really. If you look at San Francisco... They didn't really have a, a sledgehammer back there the last couple of years. They did have a fullback in Kyle Juszczyk. Hello, Alec Ingold. But we do know that McDaniel's well-versed in the position and that he has an idea for the skills that he likes there. So if Mostert and Edmonds are any indication, speed, pass-catching, vision, smarts, all key ingredients. Love Brian Robinson's game, though. At CJ Fgrave, what's the most plausibly unpredictable move Chris Greer could pull on draft night? That's a tough one. Uh, really tough to predict 102 again, but thanks for the question, Chris. Hope you're well, man. Haven't talked to you in a while. I'm not sure if this is the most, but it's the one that I've seen come up as a surprise when it's mentioned. But how about a defensive back? Like there's a possibility that position provides some nice options at 102. And I know this Dolphins defensive backfield so loaded, but you can never have enough cover guys. I'd say a DB at 102. It's all on the table. Let's do three more here. We also have the written version on MiamiDolphins.com. At Medicine Calm asks, what wine pairs best with Tyreek Hill highlights? Incredible. Love it. I'm not a wine drinker. I've tried it a lot. Not really for me. Coming from wine country in the Pacific Northwest, I don't dislike it. It's just like my 12th option off the bench. My Udonis Haslam for this heat team, if you will. Bourbon. Always bourbon for me. Uh, At Eli... JTS, what's your fever dream personnel grouping? Calling out the players you'd love to see next season. Now we're talking, and this is really tough to answer because I have to take guys off the field who I like, but that's what coaches have to do. It's a good problem to have, but I think I'm most intrigued by this one for a few reasons. Hill, Waddle, Gasicki, Edmonds, Mostert. That's 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end, two receivers, which typically calls for a base defense. Nickel at most which is five defensive backs, your base is four defensive backs. So from there, if they go base and you go empty, you spread everybody out because all five of those guys can run routes from pretty much all positions. That's going to put linebackers on either the backs or Gasicki. I like those matchups. So I'm taking that one just for the conflict it creates, excuse me, but there are countless permutations. At Kyle the Commish asks, because of the limited picks, is there a player or players that if we selected will make you so excited you feel the entire draft is a home run? Alec Pierce is that guy for me, he says. Pierce is a fun prospect. Uh, I won't say home run just because you never know how the draft's going to work out until three years down the line. But based off my own watching and what a lot of experts that I had in the podcast last month said, I really like Chattanooga's Cole Strange, Washington State's Abe Lucas, go Cougs. And those three backs I mentioned earlier between White, Strong, and Cook, like John Mechie, like Isaiah Likely, like Majay Sanders. But I mean, there are just a few names in the hat, you know? I, I suppose what I'm saying is, let's circle back after the draft and see how we feel then, and then again, again in, in three more years. All right, let's go ahead and take our last break right here. We'll come back on the other side with my mock draft 2022. We're going to breeze through that thing. We'll also get to media with Jalen Waddle, with Jalen Phillips, and Robert Hunt here on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast brought to you by AutoNation. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, presented by AutoNation. It is draft day tonight from Las Vegas, the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft. No picks for the Miami Dolphins. We do have a pick coming up tomorrow on Friday night, number 102, 
after the draft is over, we're going to have media. We're going to have, uh, I'll get my write-up done talking about whichever player that is. And we'll have a podcast for you guys and a preview of day three. That should be out early on Saturday morning. So keep it locked for that. And then also on Sunday, another podcast recapping day three where the Dolphins are scheduled to have three picks on the final day of the draft. For now, how about my mock draft? I only wrote it down once. And I thought about it and thought there's probably some changes I could make, but I thought it's going to be wrong anyway. And, you know, admittedly, I used to do this with a lot more of a league-wide focus as the job I did called for it more. So, and maybe this is the way to get accuracy since it's about as easy as picking the March Madness bracket every year. But I haven't poured through every offseason move, every coaching and GM history like I used to do. So that's my disclaimer for telling you why this is going to suck. But (laughs) here it comes regardless. Pick number one to Jacksonville. I don't care what they're talking about, all this nonsense. They're taking Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. Actually, who who knows? It could be Trayvon Walker. It could be Jermaine Johnson. It could be Kayvon Thibodeau. It could be Aquano. It could be Neil, Evan Neal from Alabama. Who the hell knows? I'm taking Aiden Hutchinson. Number two, Malik Willis. Let's get crazy. Give me the quarterback. Love the upside. Get the quarterback there in Detroit. At three, Houston cornerback Sauce Gardner. Number four, the Jets, Trayvon Walker from Georgia. Number five, the Giants take Aquanu from NC State. Icky Aquanu. I keep leaving out his first name there. At number six, it gets even crazier. Quarterback Kenny Pickett goes to the Carolina Panthers, and Matt Rule gets his QB there. Number seven, the Giants get to me the steal of the draft right here in Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, my number one player at the seventh pick in the draft. Atlanta at number eight takes Evan Neal from Alabama to screw up that offensive line. The Seahawks at nine, Derek Stingley, my number one cornerback at number nine. Good pick for them there in my own mock draft. Pat myself on the back. Number 10, the Jets, Jamison Williams. Don't want to see it, but if he gets to that spot, I had a hard time seeing them passing him up. At number 11, oh, I just learned Jimmy Butler's out for tonight. Not good. Uh, at number 11, the Washington Commanders take safety Kyle Hamilton, who get a top three player at number 11. Good for them. The Vikings, number 12, offensive tackle Charles Cross, Mississippi State. Great looking player. 13, Houston, Chris Olave from Ohio State. 14, Baltimore, Edge, Jermaine Johnson. There's some talk about him going number one overall. Who knows what's going to happen? Pandemonium. Number 15, Philadelphia, Devin Lloyd, linebacker from Utah. Number 16, New Orleans, Kenyon Green from AM. A great pick for them there to fill out that offensive line. It's been good for decades now. The Chargers, 17, offensive tackle Trevor Penning. Real nasty demeanor mentality. He's going to be a nice bookend there with Rashawn Slater in this, in this instance. 18, Philadelphia, defensive tackle Jordan Davis from Georgia. Number 19, the Saints, Traylon Burks to go there along with, uh, nope, I didn't take a quarterback. Traylon Burks goes along with Kenyon Green for the Saints' two first-round picks. At number 20, Pittsburgh takes cornerback Andrew Booth from Clemson. The Patriots get Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa at 21 in my mock draft. Number 22, the Packers, Jahan Dotson from Penn State. Number 23, George Karloftis from from, uh, Purdue to the Arizona Cardinals to replace Chandler Jones. Buffalo, a lot of talk about Brees Hall right here, but I'm going offensive line Zion Johnson from Boston College. Tennessee, also on the offensive line. Tyler Smith, tackle from Tulsa, has a real nasty demeanor, kind of like Taylor Lewan there. Maybe they like that, maybe they don't. I don't know. Number 27, defensive end, Tampa Bay, Arnold Ebikite from Penn State. A real, real riser in this process. Great athletic traits, great pass rusher. 28, Packers, Devontae Wyatt, the DT from Georgia. 29, the Chiefs, safety, Daxon Hill from Michigan. And 30, the Chiefs, receiver Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. 31, the Bengals, Bernard Raymond from Central Michigan. And number 32, the Lions close it out with cornerback Trent McDuffie. Man, that gets tough in the back half of round one. Who am I kidding? I'm probably, of course wrong from the jump. So this draft reminds me a lot of 2013 in a lot of ways. All right, let's go ahead and close this out with our media from Wednesday. We heard from Jalen Waddle. We heard from Jalen Phillips. We also heard from Robert Hunt. Let's go ahead and start here 
with Jalen Waddell, who discussed the potential Tyreek Hill race. He also talked about watching film with Tyreek Hill every single day, which I thought was really cool to hear about, and also watching Tyreek Hill film prior to Hill being traded to Miami. He talked about the media having their own combine, which sounds like a fun idea. Talked about potentially adding to his Penguin celebration. Was asked if he can go Christian Wilkins route. He said, no, Christian does too much. And then also just the overall humility of Jalen Waddle. You kind of see that in his personality. Very humble kid. Let's go ahead and play this audio of him talking about his new receivers coach, Wes Welker, and how he helps him understand the game even better. Um, yes, I think his approach is different. Um, just him being a receiver, um, he really set the standard of being like a modern slot receiver. So he really get insight and he can really like go into detail and really get into your head and know what it's like to actually like be out there. Um, so Wes... West been great um, working, not just with me, but how he just um, coached up the whole re- receiver room. Short, sweet, and humble, as always, from Jalen Waddle. there. He had plenty of other things to say, but go ahead and check out the YouTube channel for <clears throat> that media availability in its entirety. Same deal with Jalen Phillips. He talked a lot about his appearance on the Fish Tank podcast, which, if you have not checked that out, please go back and do so. The Fish Tank with Seth and OJ, a great, great interview with Jalen Phillips. Let's go ahead and hear one sound clip here from Jalen talking a little bit about his rookie season and the expectation he has for himself to improve upon what people believe is a pretty good rookie year, breaking the rookie sack record for the Miami Dolphins. But Jalen's not going to get content. Let's go ahead and hear from the Dolphins' edge defender, outside linebacker, defensive end, Jalen Phillips. Yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I'm really critical of myself uh, and I have a lot of high aspirations and I want to do everything I can to, to help the team. And so for me, not being able to come in every single down and help the team, like that's something where, you know, I took it on myself where I'm, I'm going to work on this. And so, you know, the sacks were nice, but ultimately uh, it's more than just sacks. It's more than just production. It's about, you know, how you fit in the defense and what are you doing to contribute to the team as a whole. Uh, and so, yeah, just constantly trying to better myself and improve the things that I need to improve on. So there's Jalen. Let's go ahead and finish up here with Big Rob, who was asked about how simple or hard it is to learn this system and talking about how he watched, or the Dolphins rather, watched the Niners tape to get a feel for the system. Here's Big Rob talking about his coaching staff and the teachers they have in that room. I wouldn't say it's either. I mean, like I said, I think we got really good teachers in the room uh, with Matt, um, Frank Lim, and, and Mike. And I think they're doing a fantastic job of just putting it on us, man. And so they, I wouldn't say it's hard. I mean, there's definitely some hiccups, you know, but like, like I said, we got really good um, teachers in our room, so it helps. So there you have it. Fun media availability from those three young up-and-coming players here for your Miami Dolphins. Again, go check out the Fish Tank podcast with Jalen, talking with Seth and OJ. Very good stuff from those guys. Also, the entirety of those media availabilities up on the YouTube channel. We also have plenty of content coming your way this weekend. A Saturday morning podcast taking a look at the pick we made on Friday, whether it's at 102 or going up or going down, whatever the case may be. We'll recap that draft pick and preview day three. Also talk about the media we have that night for you guys. And then on Sunday, we'll have another podcast as well, recapping day three and potentially three more or less players for your Miami Dolphins. Media from Coach McDaniel and Chris Greer. Then we'll also take a look at it all next week with a comprehensive roster review. We'll get Emery Hunt back on the podcast here from CBS Sports HQ for our undrafted free agent class breakdown as we do each year and we'll also be covering OTAs here this coming month as well the season never sleeps here for your Miami Dolphins in the meantime that's going to be my time you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast leave us a rating leave us a review you can follow me on Twitter at Wingful NFL follow the team at Miami Dolphins check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and OJ and of course the YouTube availabilities with uh, Rob excuse me the two Jalen's and of course Dolphins Today 
And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, daddy's coming home.